0: Of throwing away your aluminum cans, foil, and other reusable metals, take them to a collection center. Be a planeteer. Recycle. We do. The power is yours.
1: Do you all remember those recycling campaigns in the 80s and 90s? They seemed to be everywhere. It felt like everybody was being told that in order to do their part, they should recycle. I remember watching Captain Planet and seeing the villains, Captain Pollution and the guy, Hoggish Greedly. I can't forget him because he was like the ambassador of overconsumption. And so at this time, it was like there was a big push to get people to recycle. Most of us think we know how recycling works, but actually the process goes something like this. Take a plastic water bottle the bottle will likely have a number one printed inside a triangle with three arrows. You might have seen that. Well, that number means it's made of polythylene terephthalate, I think that's how it's pronounced, or PET for short. And it's one of the most commonly produced plastics, the easiest kind to recycle. So you toss the bottle into a recycling bin, then it's picked up by a recycling truck.
2: It gets taken to what we call a transfer station or a reload facility.
1: This is Laura Liebrich. She works for Rogue Waste Incorporated, a solid waste and recycling company in Southern Oregon.
2: And then it gets bailed and sent to a MRF, a material recovery facility.
1: At the MRF, the bottle is sorted from other material types and put with other plastics. Then those plastics get sorted by their numbers.
2: So you want your number ones distinctly separate from your number twos.
1: And finally, once your number one bottle is with the other number ones, they get ground up and pelletized.
2: Turned into little pellets, that's called flake. And then the flake can be sold as a feedstock to make new plastic products.
1: The flake is bundled and resold to companies that then melt it down to make toys, polyester clothing, and carpets. So, hooray, celebration the recycling cycle is complete, and it happens that way every time, for every bit of recycling you throw in the bin. Well, not exactly. Turns out, that big push to get every home in America to recycle, well, it was about a lot more than saving the planet.
2: I do believe that there was some monkey business, in my opinion, a big part of the failure has been big brands' willingness to mislead the public about what is garbage and what is recyclable.
1: It should be no surprise that it was about money. I'm Alzo Slade, and from Something Else, this is Cheat, a series that asks the question, is it ever OK to break the rules? This week, why does the nation recycle? and where it actually winds up. Laura Liebrich was raised in an environmentally conscious family, but as a kid who grew up in the 1980s, she got some mixed messaging.
2: I'm a generation Xer, and I consumed a lot of television and a lot of pop culture. You know, advertising of a billion different cereals and toys. Light, 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 light.
0: Cabbage Patch Kids.
2: It's a love-hate relationship with stuff. When the world's falling apart, what are we told to do? Go shopping.
1: And what is most of that stuff wrapped up in? Plastics.
2: Plastics were becoming more and more prevalent in the '80s for food packaging, cosmetics, beauty supplies.
1: Now, recycling ain't new and neither is consumption. But something started to change in the 1970s. Before recycling programs, most people were sending their waste straight to landfills. An environmental movement started to happen, and America seemed to be waking up to the idea that it might have a trash problem.
3: Demonstrations began in practically every city and town in the United States this morning, the first massive nationwide protest against the pollution of the environment.
1: More cities across the country started adopting curbside recycling programs, and a cool new symbol was developed to put on recyclable products. And I'm sure you've seen it before. It has three twisty arrows that look like they're kind of chasing one another in the shape of a triangle. Each arrow is meant to represent the three-stage process of recycling. Reduce. Reuse. Recycle. Repeat after me. Reduce. Reuse. Recycle. The first Earth Day took place on April 22nd of 1970. There were marches and educational workshops to drum up environmental activism and political action. It was a big deal. People wound up making Earth Day documentaries.
0: Congress passed new laws for clean air, water, and endangered species and created the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency.
1: With these new recycling efforts, everyday citizens felt like they could do their part in cleaning up the mess they felt they helped make. It seemed like America was getting more of a handle on its waste issue. But guess what? We were all buying the same amount of stuff. And the landfills, they just kept filling up. And what do you think was still on top of the waste pile? Plastics. A 2020 PBS documentary explored how local governments were reacting to the problem. And an idea started to emerge. Get rid of plastics.
3: The City Council of St. Paul, Minnesota, voted to outlaw the use of polystyrene plastic. In a highly controversial action, one county in New York State has voted to ban all packaging made of two kinds of plastic. And so plastics, because they were growing in the solid waste stream, became a target first and
1: foremost for regulators. This is Lewis Freeman. In 1979, he was hired by the Society of Plastics Industry, or SPI, known today as the Plastics Industry Association. For over 20 years, Freeman lobbied for a bunch of companies, including big names in plastic and oil, because you need oil to make plastic.
3: State and local governments began to raise questions over
1: dwindling space for landfills. These governments started considering legislation to ban the use of certain plastics to scale back plastics' waste. Plastic and oil companies, they read the writing on the wall. There was a huge problem out there. But these companies, they didn't want to stop making plastics. Of course not. They saw plastics as a necessity to society and crucial to their business. Stopping production, that wasn't an option. And they certainly didn't want anyone telling them what to do. They basically told the government, you know what, step back. We got this. And I'm trying to imagine what that looked like. Maybe it's an episode from Mad Men, but it's in the 80s. A bunch of executive types are gathered in a conference room in Washington. Everybody's dressed in oversized gray suits, mustaches everywhere. A few executives are smoking, inside of course. The seats are leather, the air conditioning is on high, and someone is pacing near the window. He's shouting into this giant cell phone. Advertising, that's what we'll do. We'll advertise our way out of this. Americans need to know, plastics make it possible.
3: There was an enthusiasm and a belief that if the industry would spend more money telling its story to people, they would better understand the importance and the viability of the industry. Today, Brady Blackwell will come to appreciate a shatter-resistant shampoo bottle. The fact that shampoo bottles made from plastics, when accidentally dropped on the floor, would not break. And that this is a virtue. And it is a virtue. God forbid that we have to go back to glass uh, shampoo bottles.
1: (laughs) And there were other ads singing the praises of plastics.
0: Presenting the possibilities of plastics. Plastics help save you from dents and broken bones. They help save energy. They help save the soda.
3: And those are all legitimate things for the industry to tout and for the public to appreciate.
1: And how much did they think it would cost to tell their story? Five million dollars. They started there, but it ended up costing a whole lot more. These suits, they spent millions of dollars basically telling us that plastic is virtuous.
3: I didn't necessarily personally agree with that logic at the time. It wasn't addressing the problem that people were criticizing you about.
1: I'm not sure I
3: was in a position to say anything to anyone, but anyone, uh, nor was I ever asked.
1: This multimillion-dollar ad campaign forged on. Freeman sat in on some meetings and caught some ads before they aired on TV. And I can imagine there was a long conference table. The gray suit executives are sitting around it, smoking and drinking black coffee. Then you got the big boxed old-school TV that's wheeled in on a cart by the secretary. In between watching the ads, one suit clears his throat and proclaims, This isn't doing enough. We need to go further. Let's get in on recycling.
2: I think that producers of these things, these disposable things, realize that they have to put out some messaging to help people feel okay about that consumption. And that's where recycling comes in.
1: Hey, hey, if you're worried about buying too much plastic, don't worry. It won't be trash. We'll reuse it. Recycling was a great way to keep making plastic and help the public feel less guilty about buying it.
2: I also wanted to be able to continue consuming. So recycling and the message that all things are recyclable really allows the consumer, allowed me, to continue consuming without really thinking too much about depletion of the natural resources that went into making those products.
1: The plastics and oil industry helped fund local recycling programs, bought sorting machines, and built recycling centers. DuPont, the chemical company, makes a lot of plastic. And in the 1990s, they opened a few plastic recycling plants that made plastic bottles into DuPont products. The bottle may look empty, yet it's anything but trash. It's full of potential and at
0: DuPont, we're making sure that the potential isn't thrown away. DuPont has developed technology that allows us to recycle endlessly. This soda bottle, perhaps it will become the shirt that I'm wearing. Or videotape. film, Films. Carpeting, carpeting. Fabric. Audio tape.
1: But few of the oil company-led recycling programs made it past the mid-90s. And the oil companies didn't just proselytize to the environmentalists. Nope. They went after the kids, too. In fact... The Dow Corporation sponsored an hour-long music special that was then sent to schools in order to educate students. They had rock bands. Beyond trying to win hearts and minds, some people in the industry wanted to focus on practical solutions to make recycling more effective. Freeman and his colleagues at SPI came up with a plan.
3: We need to help the recyclers better identify what kinds of plastics are in the waste stream.
1: So Freeman and his colleagues came up with the idea to use a code to distinguish different types of plastic materials so it was easier to sort them in facilities and determine their next life.
3: Which is a series of numbers
1: within a triangle on the bottom of bottles. There are seven resin codes, numbers one through seven. Each number defines the type of plastic used to make the item, and each number is encased in a triangle made up of chasing arrows. Hmm. Does that image sound familiar? Pretty close to the by then ubiquitous recycle symbol, right? But here's the thing. The code doesn't mean what you think it does. It was never meant to mean that something was recyclable, and to think that, this whole process was to make recycling easier. What the hell? That was never the intended message, but that became the perceived message. And people ran with it. More after the break.
2: I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire.
1: In the late 1980s, big oil and plastics companies helped launch a campaign to put recycling in the public eye. And it seemed to have worked. The country was obsessed with recycling. Everybody was making their own ads, posters, and songs about it. But back at the conference room, some of the suits weren't so sure recycling was such a good idea.
3: Were they some skeptical about the viability of recycling? Yes, and for good reason.
1: That reason was money. Look, it costs more to make products out of plastic trash, and sometimes it just doesn't work. It's cheaper and easier to just make new plastic. So the companies didn't actually cut back on making new plastics. Instead, they just talked about how they could do it if we recycled our bottles and takeout containers and we ate it up.
0: We must reduce all this garbage we're creating. Until we get our very own blue box, I'm organizing recycling in our building.
1: It created this whole new concept known as wish cycling.
2: So, what would happen is consumers would buy this stuff, they'd think, okay, I'll use the product and then I can recycle it.
1: This is Laura Liebrick again from Rogue Waste.
2: Americans are still wanting so fervently to believe that recycling is valuable. They want it to actually have positive net value, not only to the environment, but they think that it's worth money. And actually, the opposite has proven to be true.
1: I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, right? We want to feel good that we're doing our part, buying recyclable plastic with the eco-friendly symbol.
2: People have good intentions. They think, I'll put this in there and maybe the recycling ferry will take it away and somebody will reuse it.
1: But surprise, that ferry ain't flying. The Environmental Protection Agency has said that roughly 9% of plastic in the United States gets recycled each year. But what does that actually mean? No one we talked to really understood how they got to that figure. And what about the other 91%? What happens to that plastic? Well, it's nothing good, I'll tell you that. After the break, find out where your so-called recycling is actually going.
3: If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it.
0: I remember, what was that?
2: (laughs)
3: Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back.
2: Listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.
1: It's 2017 and Donald Trump is sworn in as President of the United States. The Mueller investigation is underway, and the hashtag MeToo movement takes the national stage, taking down some powerful men in the process. When in the middle of an already bewildering year, America gets some more shocking news. Cities across the country are facing a slow-moving recycling crisis.
2: This comes after China stopped accepting the bulk of American recycling.
1: Wait, what? What does China have to do with your bin full of recycling? Well turns out we were selling our recycling to China. About a third of all of our waste ends up in other countries, most of which is sent to China. Anything that isn't sent overseas gets dumped in landfills or incinerated. For decades, China bought recyclable waste from the U.S. and Europe. China wasn't making enough virgin plastic to keep up with its manufacturing boom, so it was happy to take our used plastic. For a while, at least. Turns out, Most of the stuff we were sending to them was totally useless. It was either contaminated or completely non-recyclable. China got stuck with our trash, and that turned into a major ecological problem. So they announced that starting in 2018, they weren't going to take any more of our useless trash. They only wanted the cleanest of plastics, and that meant setting some pretty tight restrictions. So America had to clean up its act and fast.
2: And we were floored that it was gonna happen that quickly.
1: There was a long list of things that China said, yeah, we're not taking that anymore.
2: Box boards, cereal boxes, cracker boxes, egg cartons, little toilet paper rolls, and paper towel rolls.
1: So many things most of us considered to be recyclable. China also stopped taking what they were calling waste plastics. This was a new term for Libric.
2: We're like, what is waste plastics? Well, waste plastics are anything but ones and twos. So three, four, five, six, seven, we don't want them anymore, get them out.
1: China was only interested in post-consumer plastics that were separated, cleaned, flaked, and turned into feedstock to be made into new things. Everything else was considered waste.
2: There isn't current technology in place to do something in terms of mechanical recycling, something beneficial with those materials. So they end up going to a landfill.
1: It was especially tricky for Librick and her small waste management company, who depended on international markets to take their plastic waste. They weren't prepared for something so abrupt, so restrictive.
2: So suddenly, we had this huge glut and backlog of recyclables. Because our programs, we can't just flip the switch on and off for collection. It kept coming in and coming in and was just mounting.
1: So Rogue Waste decided to take a good look at what was exactly coming through their recycling streams. They were gonna do an audit. That meant Librick and her colleagues had to get down and dirty digging through the collections.
2: We were horrified the first time we did it. The first recycling audit we did showed that 25% of what was in those carts that people were sending us, 25% was filled with trash. Stuff that could never in a million years be mistaken for something recyclable.
1: Liebrich found all kinds of things.
2: I found four different kinds of feces in one load. Yes, two of them were
1: human. 25% was just plain junk. The other 22% of it was stuff China was no longer going to accept. Liebrich and her team recognized that nearly half of their recycling haul was actually non-recyclable waste. This is stuff that used to be sent to international markets with the idea that it would be used.
2: So we were trucking garbage unnecessarily 300 miles away. Half of our truckloads of recyclables were garbage.
1: Up until this moment, Liebrecht really had bought into the idea that the stuff we were sending China would get recycled.
2: It's an amazing feat in this country in particular, the way we have managed to handle the outthrows of our society in a way that for the most part protects the public from really ever having to see it, smell it, or deal with it again. That's done us a disservice, I will say. (laughs) People are out of touch with their garbage. We're out of touch with where our food comes from, and we're out of touch with what happens with our waste.
1: Mm, She might be onto something there. Because when I put trash in the trash can, I forget about it. And when I put something in the recycling bin, I'd like to think it's recycled, but I'll also forget about that. Libric and Rogue Waste, they recognized this. And also recognized that they needed to make some radical changes to their current recycling collection system. And that meant telling their customers what was up.
2: We were lying to the public unwittingly. Somebody had to start telling the truth about what was happening in recycling. Recycling, it's an expensive Proposition. And it costs a lot of money because it is very labor intensive to remove that garbage from the recycling.
1: Rogue Waste launched their own marketing campaign to explain the issue and re educate the public on what needed to change.
2: Which required some very uncomfortable conversations with the public, who have been used to throwing nearly everything with a triangular symbol on it into their recycling cart, that really pissed off a lot of people, as you can imagine.
1: But with time and some recalibrating, Liebrich saw improvements. After the audits, after being up front with their customers, Rogue Waste was able to clean up enough material that they found domestic markets willing to take the stuff China wouldn't.
2: Within a year and a half, we got ourselves down to the point where we had under 10% total contamination in our recycling.
1: The whole ordeal was a huge wake-up call for Liebrich.
2: If we put all of our recycling eggs in one basket, as we all did with China... We stand to be really vulnerable and lose our ability to maintain these and sustain these recycling systems that we've set up.
1: I mean, the consumer can only do so much reducing, reusing, and recycling. So who else is responsible for our waste problem besides the consumer? Perhaps the companies that make all this stuff, right? Some people think it's about time we hold big plastics and oil accountable for the mess they put us in.
0: Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today.
1: It's April of 2022. Attorney General of California Rob Bonta is holding a press conference in front of a beach in Playa del Rey. He's standing behind a podium under a blue, cloudless sky. Standing alongside him are members from the California Department of Justice. They're all dressed in blue and gray. They all look somber. Bonta talks about the coastlines, oceans, and mountains as California's crown jewels. But this beauty
0: and the health of our communities is under attack, gravely threatened by pollution and climate change, fueled by the fossil fuel industry, including big oil's production of plastics.
1: Bonta accuses these companies for what he called a half-century campaign of deception to convince people we could recycle our way out of the plastic waste problem, even though they knew recycling was not viable.
0: The fact is, it was all a big ruse. The big oil executives, they knew the truth. The truth is, the vast majority of plastic cannot be recycled.
1: Bonta announces he's launching a first-of-its-kind investigation into fossil fuel and petrochemical industries and their role in the global pollution crisis.
0: Our investigation will examine the industry's historic and ongoing efforts to deceive the public and to what extent these actions may have violated the law.
1: Lou Freeman doesn't believe that the push to recycle was some conspiracy, but he does think the plastics industry did not do enough to respond to concerns. The problem I think
3: now everyone should agree is not just communications, it's the fact that plastics is ending up in places in nature that it shouldn't be. What do you do about that? And who's responsible for doing it? The industry's got to take, it, it has been addressing it, but it hasn't done enough soon enough, and now the problem is worse than it was 30 years ago. They're doing the same thing in responding to the issue that they did 30 years ago. I think they need to revisit
1: their approach. Remember the seven-number resin identification code that Freeman and his colleagues came up with? That's a big part of the confusion consumers felt when they were recycling. It was encased in a triangle of chasing arrows, basically the recycling symbol. The slight difference is that the arrows weren't bent slash twisted. Well, no wonder people were confused.
2: I will say that over the last two and a half decades, the biggest source of confusion for people who really truly want to do the right thing and recycle, they claim to be completely frustrated by the misleading, in many cases, labeling on products.
1: In the past decade, there's been some updates to the resin ID code to make it less confusing for customers, like replacing the chasing arrows with a solid or dashed triangle shape or getting rid of the code altogether. And now only 39 states require the code to be printed on plastics. But Liebrich says some states are trying to get rid of the code entirely.
2: Oregon and I believe Washington and California were trying to overturn that because it is so confusing to the public. We cannot use a symbol that is universally recognized as meaning this product or this package is recyclable around the resin identification code.
1: I mean, it's easy to think something means recyclable when it's surrounded by the international symbol of recycling. The chasing arrows in a triangle is hella confusing. Not knowing any better, people will continue to put numbered plastics that don't belong in the bin. Recycling is not a foolproof system, but there are benefits if it's done right. For me and you folks at home, this is how it's supposed to be done. Recycling programs vary city to city. I suggest calling up or visiting your community's recycling website to see what number of plastics they take. Sometimes even your own bin will say what they accept. Typically, plastics numbered 1, 2, and 5 are accepted. But again, you need to check it because it could be different where you live. After you use your plastic item, you know, just give it a good rinse and let it dry out. Like, nobody wants your takeout container with your crusty rice from 2 a.m. And put caps back on the empty water, soda, shampoo, and dressing bottles. Keep food and liquids out of your recycling bin and keep your items loose. Please don't bag your recyclables. Plastic bags are hard to recycle and can get caught in recycling equipment. Lastly, reduce and reuse as much as you can. You can't go wrong there. And I know I just sound like one of the commercials that I talked about in the 80s, but this contains a bit more information.
2: Recycling is not the be-all end-all for helping the environment.
1: So to be clear, It's not that recycling doesn't work. It's that it doesn't work as well as we've been sold. It's not a silver bullet.
2: There are benefits to recycling some things, but we need to get away from thinking everything needs to be recyclable. It's not reality. We need to hold producers of products accountable through systems like extended producer responsibility programs where they are helping to fund what we call the end-of-life management of these products to make sure that the materials go safely to their final disposition or to what we call their highest and best use.
1: If you stop and think about your daily life, Try and count how many things you touch made out of plastic before you even leave the house in the morning. Your phone, your phone charger, your toothbrush. I mean, plastic, it does make our lives convenient. And that's something that's hard to let go of. But at what point do we sacrifice convenience for survival? Hey, folks, thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Cheat wherever you get it. And please do leave a rating and a review if you like what we're doing. It helps other people discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. Also, if you want to listen to the show without the ads, you can subscribe to Cheat Plus. It's like Cheat but better. It's just $2.99 a month, or if you're in the UK, 2 pounds 49 And you get all of this without having to listen to those annoying commercials. Just go to Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe instead of follow. You can try it for free now. Next time on Cheat. The
3: DOJ regulations say that a business can only ask a person who has an animal, are you disabled? And what does your animal do for you? If you ask more questions than that, according to the Department of Justice, you've violated the Americans with
1: Disabilities Act. That leaves lots of room for people to cheat. Cheat is presented by me, Alzo Slade. This episode was produced by Casey Georgie. The executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. The series editor is Megan Dietrich. The original idea for the show was developed by Tom Fuller. Assembly and scoring by Camila Kashani and Julia Doyle. Engineering and sound design by Martin Peralta at Output Media. Our production coordinators are Jennifer Mystery and Iker Egbatola.